taking your scriptures, turn with me first for an Old Testament lesson, Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6, we'll read the whole chapter, just 11 verses, and then we will continue in Peter's second sermon in Acts chapter 3. Our lesson this morning from God's Word is a lesson on repentance, refreshment, and restoration, for these are the very terms that the Apostle gives to us to work the truth of Christ into our hearts. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we are now to hear your word read and preached. We pray that we would hear, that we would have the ears to hear. Father, tend to our hearing. You know, Lord, our our proneness to be in dull and finding the things of God difficult and then quickly abandoned. Lord, this is our testimony of who we are without your help, without your spirit. We are not without your help. We are not without your spirit, so let us, Lord, we pray, hear, believe, and rise up and walk in the obedience of Christ, the obedience of faith. We ask for help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. Acts chapter 3. Our reading will begin in the middle of the sermon. We read it all last Lord's Day. Let's begin at verse 19. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth 
of his holy prophets long ago. This is God's word. Beloved, unless you repent, you will never enter the salvation of the Almighty God, the eternal glory of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Unless you repent, you will remain marked as someone destined for everlasting torment in the fires of hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Unless you repent, you will hear these words from Jesus Christ on the day of his wrath. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Unless you repent, you will remain in the image of your father, the devil. And because of that, you will share in his fate in the fiery furnace, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place without end, a place without escape. That is your future, unless you repent. But please understand something here today. You can be very interested in avoiding hell and wanting to escape the wrath of God, but still refuse to repent. Why? Because the human heart is so deceptive. Many people want Jesus Christ to save them from the lake of fire. But they do not want him to liberate them from their sin and from their worldliness and from their corruptions. And because they do not want the latter and only the former, it is really not Christ they want at all. Not the Christ who is the eternal son, not the Christ who died and suffered on the cross. They want some other Christ. They want Christ to keep them from destruction, but they don't want Christ to change them, to convert them, to make them more like himself. They don't want that much salvation. Beloved, do not be deceived. Repentance is not simply knowing the right answer to the question, who saves the sinner from hell? Knowing Jesus is the answer is not the same as repentance. Saving faith can never stand on its own separated from true repentance. They are always bound together. Wherever the Spirit of God gives saving faith, there will be the fruits of true repentance. Where the water of heaven is poured out, the bloom of holiness will flower, always. To come to Christ as Savior, which is faith, means you will forsake a life of sin, which is repentance. When Peter preached to the crowd in Jerusalem, and we have been hearing it now for a few weeks, he certainly called them to believe what they had not yet believed. He certainly did that. He called them to faith in Christ, 
Look at verse 16 of our chapter. Peter twice highlights the faith of the lame man that he healed. Why does he highlight the faith of the lame man? He did this because he was calling the crowd to believe on Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the one promised from the beginning, promised by all the prophets. Peter knew to highlight faith. This salvation was by faith. Like always, salvation was by faith. But Peter wasn't just giving them information so they could do well on Bible quizzes. Because Jesus is the Christ, Peter calls the crowd to forsake their old way of life. Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn back. Turn back to what? Not what, but whom? How did Hosea say it? Come, let us return to the Lord. That's repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. That's why your life was so hard this week. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. Will anybody care about me when I'm in pieces on the floor? Oh, there is one who cares. Better than all men, even the ones you live with, this one cares. He will bind you up. Let us return to the Lord. Repentance is forsaking your sin and turning to the Lord. The Lord is not opposed to sinners coming to him. He is not opposed to that. He welcomes sinners. He heals sinners. But he is opposed to us. And he will be forever opposed to us if we come to him and want to keep our sin. If we want a faith without repentance, he will not accept us. Nor will he accept us if we try repentance without faith. Repentance is not turning from sin into some empty space where you are now not sinning. There is no such space. Repentance is turning from sin into the Lord, into all his benefits, knowing he is the eternal God of all mercies who receives you, a sinner. That's repentance. Now, I want to dwell with you for a moment on Peter's words, turn back, verse 19. Turn back. By using these words, our apostle shows us that without Christ, all men are already going the wrong way. That is a presupposition of turn back. This is what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We're already going the wrong way, Ephesians 2.1. Dead fish do not swim against the current. 
In the same way, sinners are carried along by the world and the devil and their own flesh. Carried to where? To the falls. To the everlasting destruction of the sinner under the wrath of God. There is no salvation for them unless they come alive and turn back. And a man will not turn back unless he discovers he is going the wrong way, will he? Ask your dad on a vacation. A man will not turn back unless he is persuaded, convinced, profoundly struck with the bad news that he's going the wrong way. No one turns when they think the direction they're going is okay and no danger of God's wrath lies ahead. How then does a man discover he must turn back? Well, this is what Peter's preaching has been all about, hasn't it? A man makes that discovery when he hears about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hearing about his sin won't do it. Hear me now. You will never help your children or help yourself repent when you just keep telling your children or yourself that you did something stupid, that you did something wrong. It's not enough. It's true, but it's only law. A man discovers that he must turn back when he hears about the resurrection of Christ. This is Peter's burden in his two sermons so far. To declare the resurrection of Christ, and he has nothing more to turn them except to tell them about the Christ who's been resurrected, full of mercy and grace and forgiveness. In hearing the resurrection of Christ, a man discovers not only that he must turn back, but that he can turn back and be welcomed by the very one he has turned against. Heaven's light enters his soul, revealing that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus Christ, and he is using that authority to save his church from sin and from the works of the devil and from the corruption of the flesh. When Jesus comes to you and speaks into your conscience, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. When he comes and speaks this into your conscience and says, I have the keys of death and Hades. When Jesus says something like that to you, and that's Revelation 117, you will turn back. You will turn back because the way you have been going is now revealed for what it was. The way of self-lordship. The way of rebellion. 
The way you have been going is not the righteousness of the living Christ's kingdom. The way you have been going is the way men take who rule themselves. The way you have been going is the way men take who want to be their own authority. It is the way men take when they are their own lords. It is the way men take when they obey their own instincts, their own impulses. It is the way men take when they say, I will be the boss of me. I will be my own truth. I will be my own way. I will be my own life. That is the way of death. It is an opposition to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and who is risen to the right hand of God Almighty. But when Jesus comes to you, and praise God, he does, and maybe today is the day. The elders of this church pray every week that today would be the day for somebody when the risen Christ comes to you through the preaching of his word, which Revelation 1 says is the sword coming out of his mouth, and he comes to cut into you. Oh, blessed cut. Oh, blessed wound. When he comes to you and his spirit speaks with authority to you, you will turn back to the Lord. Faith will be united to repentance. You will embrace Christ and forsake sin. You will rejoice in Christ and grieve over your sin. You will rejoice in Christ and hate your sin. You will rejoice in Christ and forsake your sin. Now, why is rejoicing always bound to repenting? Because Peter shows us in our text that repenting is always re- always rewarded with the blessing of God. Repenting doesn't earn or merit these rewards. The body, the blood of Christ alone merits all things for us. But Peter wants us to see in 19, 20, and 21 that the Christian always gains far more than he loses when he forsakes his sin and comes to Christ. Beloved, if you are under the small suspicion, like a small cloud in the distance on the horizon, that the pastor is concerned, that there may be some among us who think that they have faith in Christ, but the faith they have is not united to repentance, you are right. Beloved, there is no such thing as faith in Christ without true repentance. A faith that stands without repentance is no faith at all. But Peter wants you to know that there are great rewards in your repenting, even though it is the work of God's Spirit who brings it about. You get the rewards as if you had done it. Such is life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So Peter, in our passage, represents the rewards of repentance to us in three stages. 
Now, I don't think he would have ever said that. But as a preacher, that's how I'm putting it, so that you could walk with me through it quickly. He presents the rewards of repentance in three stages. There is the immediate blessing. There is then the continual blessing. And then there's the consummate blessing. Now, the immediate blessing is stated right at the end of verse 19. That your sins may be blotted out. When a sinner first turns to Christ through faith and repentance, all their sins are immediately pardoned and pardoned in full. The Greek language here is like a sponge cleaning a chalkboard. All debts are canceled. Where'd those records go? They're not coming back. They're gone. Blotted out. What Peter speaks of is the same blessing King David rejoiced over in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Paul picks up that very quote in Romans 4, doesn't he? So Peter sets this blessing first, this immediate blessing, because as a sinner, you and I would never come to Christ unless we were first guaranteed a full pardon of sin debt. We couldn't come to the Christ who is Christ without that assurance of pardon. John Calvin put it this way, no man can be stirred up to repentance unless he has salvation set before him. If a man thinks he cannot be pardoned, if he thinks he is already given over to destruction, he will not fear to run headlong against God obstinately. Peter is a fine pastor who's learned from the pastor of pastors, Jesus Christ. Set salvation before them. Set the good news before them. Set the mercies of Christ before them. For there's no repentance except turning into the mercies of Christ. So Peter knows true faith and repentance springs forth only when a man sees the reasonableness of Christ to pardon sinners fully, the loveliness of Christ to forgive sinners fully, the mercies of Christ to welcome sinners fully. There's no other Christ but the full pardon Christ. He is the one to whom you have come, He's the one to whom you must come. If we did not know there was an immediate blessing of full pardon in repenting and coming to Christ, we would hide from him, wouldn't we? We would hide from Christ, and in that hiding, we would fail to truly come to him, even if we kept his name on our lips. It would all be a way of hiding from him because we are not persuaded He has fully and truly accepted us. Your sins will be blotted out. That's the immediate blessing. Now, the continual blessing is stated in the first half of verse 21, and I'm following the ESV. It says there that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is a blessing that continues. Now, when your sins are pardoned, they're pardoned. You just need to keep 
applying that to your to your soul that you are a forgiven sinner, but the continual blessings are refreshed again and again. There's always a new effusion of them. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, the Greek word for refreshing in that verse is a very rare word. It's only used in this verse in the New Testament. In the Greek Old Testament, this word has a close cousin. And it's often used in the Old Testament, the the close cousin, to describe a refreshment that comes from a drink, a drink of water. You can see that in Judges 15, 19, if you like. But it's also used in the Greek Old Testament, which is a translation of the Hebrew, to describe the refreshment that slaves and animals receive on the Sabbath day, Exodus 23, 12. We're getting, we're getting closer to what Peter's after. I, beloved, think it best to take this expression, times of refreshing, as parallel to what Peter said in his first sermon right after he called for repentance there. In Acts 2.38, the first sermon, he said, Repent, and you will have the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The times of refreshing, then, is the new covenant experience of the Holy Spirit dwelling within the believer. Christ in you. Remember what Jesus offered the woman at the well in John 4. He offered her a kind of water, right? Do you remember what kind? He offered her living water. He pointed to Jacob's well, the water that she could see, He pointed to that water, and he said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. John 4, 13 and 14. In other words, they will live in the times of refreshment. A little later in John 7, verse 38, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John the apostle adds, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The ministry of the Spirit, after the exaltation of Christ in resurrection and ascension and enthronement, is so greatly different than the ministry of the Spirit under the Old Covenant that John can term it in these words. It had not yet been given. The Apostle Paul spoke of this season of refreshment. He said to the Corinthians in his second letter, 4.16, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Not by reading books on leadership, but by the ministry of the Holy Spirit testifying to us through the ministry of the word and the sacraments that we are in union with Jesus Christ. And that our title to heaven is irrevocable because Christ cannot be pulled down from his throne.
because he has been raised. So why does Peter call the continual blessing the, the times of refreshment? Because those who come to Christ through faith and repentance are rewarded with the abiding presence of Christ in the inner man through the Spirit. And listen to the refreshment, the abiding presence of Christ brings to the inner man. Listen to this. Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, I'm, I'm actually more refreshed by eating and drinking than you know not Christ. Because the kingdom of Jesus Christ brings every believer into a season of refreshment where the presence of Christ, the ministry of the Spirit, the Word and the sacraments is more refreshing to them than a meal at the fox and hound. Listen to how this season of refreshment is described in another way. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Romans fifteen thirteen. And listen to how the seasons of refreshment are described in another place. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, 23, and 25. Beloved, outside of Christ, our life is parched, sweltering, barren desert. Peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit is not our experience outside of Christ. Frustration and anger and pride and arrogance and bitterness and quarreling and conflict. We are not refreshed outside of Christ. In Christ, we are refreshed with the living water of the Lord's own abiding presence. And we become a refreshment to the people around us. This is the continued blessing of those who come to Christ by faith and true repentance. And lastly, the consummate blessing. The blessing of all blessings, the final blessing, when the children of God are brought into the state of being, the scriptures call glory. The glory of Christ covers us with solidity and constancy. Acts 20, excuse me, Acts 3.20, second half of that verse to the end of 21. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the consummate blessing. That is to draw out our continued repentance as well as our beginning repentance if we are yet to come to Christ.
those who come to him by faith and repentance will be given Christ Jesus himself and his consummate kingdom. Everything that the prophets have promised for ages will fall upon those who come to Christ by faith and repentance. And it's quite wonderful the way Peter phrases this. He uses the language of an appointed judge. Calvin really did an excellent work on this in his commentary on Acts. The language of the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, at first is startling. It's a way of saying the judge who's coming to stand before you and to settle accounts with you. And then instead of saying that he's coming to condemn, Peter says the judge is coming to give to you the restoration of the kingdom, the fullness of its glory. Where have the prophets spoken about this? Oh, we could stand here for the next 10 hours and read our Bibles. But I would like to read to you, beloved, from Isaiah 60. Understand that Peter is saying this so that you would repent, that you would find it absolutely absurd to continue in your sins and continue in your corruptions and continue in your unbelief. Absolutely absurd when you hear that the one who is going to bring this kingdom in its fullness is already risen, already enthroned, and he is coming again. And he is coming to give sinners who repent and believe on him this glory. Isaiah chapter 6. Or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 60. Verse 11. Your gates shall be opened continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseer's peace and your taskmaster's righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. 
For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall be all your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall be become my clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord in its time. I will hasten it. Repent, beloved. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you and praise you for how you have called us to the very most difficult thing, dying to our self-lordship dying to being the way, the truth, and the life for ourselves. But, oh, praise you, O Lord, how you have called us to die, to repent, to turn back. You have heaped upon us blessing and mercy and wonder and glory. You have set it upon our heart, upon our ear. How could we stay away from you, Lord Jesus? How could we... Continue to be slow, Lord Jesus. How could we trifle longer? How could we try to live the minimal life of repentance? How could we want faith to escape the lake of fire and not want Christ to escape the corruption power of sin, the folly of it, the inglorious darkness of it, Oh, Lord, we thank you for your ways of speaking. Let us, in kind, rise up by your Spirit in identical ways of believing what you have said. Bless us now. Lead us out of sin to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.